Welcome to Just Joy Conversations, where I seek to unite, inspire, and enlighten regardless of what you look like or believe or who you love, one conversation at a time. Check out my introductory podcast on JustJoyConversations.com to learn more about my vision. Hey, 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 everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the fourth podcast episode of Just Joy Conversations. I can't even believe it's number four, but they just keep getting better and better. And today's podcast is no different. The title of this one is called Love is Blind, but America, not so much. And what this will be about is the state of interracial dating in 2022. Actually, today, the date of this recording, is a day that is kind of special and goes right along with what we're going to be talking about today that one of our guests enlightened me to before we started recording. And so I'm going to introduce the people who we're going to be talking to. We have three generations. We have the baby boomers, we have Gen Xers, and we also have the millennials represented. So for those of you who do not know what baby boomers and millennials, what those age groups are, you may want to know what you are. The baby boomers are people born between 1946 and 1964. The Gen Xers, which is the group I am a part of, are people born between 1965, 1980, and the millennials are born 1981 to 1995. So our baby boomers we have with us today are Steve and Sharon from Detroit. Gen Xers are me and Mike and Nanette and Bruce in Melbourne, Florida. We're in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then we have Horton, who is from Louisville, Kentucky. So before we get started, the person that actually enlightened me to the significance of what today is, is Bruce down in Melbourne, Florida. And Bruce, could you go ahead and tell everyone what the significance of today is, which is June 12th? Tell us what's special about today. Well, today is actually called Loving Day. It's a case that involved loving versus the state of Virginia in interracial marriage. So back on this day in 1967, there were two people named Loving who were actually arrested because they were married and they were uh, an interracial couple. So the law was actually struck down in 1967 in Virginia. So that's a celebration of today. It's funny, it's that the, the couple was married back in 1958 in Washington, where interracial marriages were legal. And then they moved their home to Central Point, Virginia, Weeks later, the local sheriff busted in and to their home in the middle of the night, and they were charged with violating several Virginia codes, including one that made it unlawful to marry any white person in the state to marry any save a white person. In other words, white could marry white, black could marry black, Native American could marry Native American, and that was it. They were charged with these laws, and when they went to court, the court said, look, you have one or two options. We can... Uh, send you to jail for a year, or you can be banished from the state for 25 years. So obviously they went ahead and took the banishment and moved back to Washington. 
coming back in to see their family and relatives, a few years later, they were yet again arrested. And at this time that they were arrested, Mildred, which was the wife, she wrote a letter to the attorney general, I believe it was, and that person was Robert Kennedy. And from there, it went on and became a court case. Later, the law was struck down. They used a lot of different reasons and ways why they should be married, and the state was against it. These were old laws back since dated back to the 1600s that they did not allow and his so race. I'm assuming that Mildred married a black man. No, 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 no. Mildred married a white man. I mean, that's what I meant. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was white. She was black. He passed away in 1975, but she passed away in 2008, eight years after the last state, Alabama, struck down the law, and they struck it down in the year 2000. Okay, okay. Well, one of the goals of Just Joy Conversations is to educate, if nothing else. So thank you for educating me, and I'm sure other people that are listening to this podcast. So thank you so much for that. I did try to get people on that would not date outside of their race, but they did not want to talk about it out loud. And so first question for all of you is that, have you tried to date outside of your race and got rejected? And if so, what are some of the reasons that have been given why people would not date you just because of your color? Or what things have you heard people say just in general? are the reasons why they would not date outside of their race. And anyone can chime in and answer what their experience has been with that. I know that I had an interesting experience where uh, actually I wanted to just have a black woman join me. It's like, hey, let's go do something. And it was a, a friendly thing. I just wanted to say, hey, you want to go out for a cup of coffee and all that? And it was just chit-chatting with her. And it was like, Steve, I don't want to be your black experience now. I'm like saying, <laughs> hold up now. That's not what it's about. But I wouldn't call that a rejection, maybe, but came off real odd, I would say. Yeah. 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 That did not deter you, obviously, because you have a beautiful black wife, Sharon. She's awesome. And so. Well, thank you. Thank you. I had never dated outside my race either. I had been divorced for a while, and it was my daughter that told me, Mom, maybe you should date outside your race, you know, date other people, other guys besides black men. So she wanted me to put up a profile and e-harmony and do all of that, and I didn't want to do all of that. And it just so happened that I met Steve through a mutual friend. Our first date was a blind date. Mm -hmm. um, we met at the symphony and that was really good for me because immediately I was interested because he liked to do the things that I like to do. Okay. Okay. Now, what was your experience growing up? Because my mom, for instance, she has a, a friend who is white, but she's hesitant to still, she's 80 years old, but she's just remembering how things were back in her day. And she's still thinking that, like, somebody might get them or do something or give her dirty looks and things like that. So even after all this time where we can see that is not totally like that anymore, she's still a little gun shy of that. Is that your experience where you raised to kind of be weary, I guess you could say, of 
dating outside of your race or where your parents like love who you love and we're for we're fine with that no 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 they are both from the south and they were very leery of that I don't know if there was movies that my mom would see that white guys were axe murderers, you know, <laughs> you know, you can't, they'll lock you up somewhere. You'll never see us again. Just crazy stuff like that. So no, it was not encouraged. I mean, those little funny stories came to my mind when I met Steve, but obviously, <laughs> obviously he was not like that, but they were from the South and, yeah. They, growing up, I heard the stories of trying to having to use the colored bathroom and mm-hmm. when they were traveling through the South, drinking fountains different. My dad got pulled over once. I think the tail light was out. And they made everybody get out of the car mm-hmm. and just a lot of stuff like that. So it was not encouraged mm-hmm. to even have friendships. Yeah, Steve, what about you? Your parents, what was their thought about interracial dating or how did they raise you as far as that goes? Well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because especially on my mother's side, they were raised up on the east side of Detroit. And frankly, you know, there was a lot of racism with them. They would drop the N bombs, N jokes, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Some of my uncles, I wasn't really comfortable with it. I really didn't like it. I didn't laugh at it. Didn't think it was funny. Fast forward as time goes on, it was interesting because when I started dating Sharon, you know, one of my sisters asked, you know, actually told my mom, well, you know, Steve has a new girlfriend. I met her. She's really nice. And my mom said, oh, that's really nice. She says, well, mom, and she's black. And then, of course, they drop the, well, how black is she? (laughs) It's like, she says, oh, my gosh. But, you know, ironically, as my mom grew to know her and got acquainted with her, they built this relationship together. It was really nice. And as time moves on, we've seen some more acceptance Mm -hmm. of different love styles. Actually, even within my family, you know, there are some same-sex relationships that are very loving and very nurturing that are in my family and absolutely accepted. So So you're, you're saying that it really boils down to getting to know the people. Right. What they look like. Yeah, I totally get that. And actually, that's kind of similar to me and Mike. On the opposite side, though, me and his mom didn't necessarily develop that bond you got to have, Sharon. But his dad, well, you tell your story. I was about to say, mine's a little different in that. So Joy is the, I've dated two times outside my race. First time was in college. Uh, let's see, it was my, about my sophomore, junior in college. I dated a black girl. It was actually, it's kind of funny. She, we went to the same high school together, but never met in high school. She was a year ahead of me. Knew some of the same people, and I knew of her, but we never connected in high school, but we connected in a small college. Do I know this story? I thought it was one. Yeah, just one. You're the second. Oh, okay. I'm curious to <laughs> who's up. <laughs> oh, it's about to turn. 
Turn the corner. Don't turn ugly. Hit the pause button. Um, so my experience, and what's kind of funny is like, you know, I don't think it was ever a concern of my family because they just, they never thought that I would date anybody other than a white, you know, somebody white. So I really caught them off guard when I came home and, you know, they knew I was dating somebody and they were like, you know, when are we going to meet her? And then when I said she was black, and this was when my dad was on his second wife. We never had conversations about race because we never had, you know, never had any black friends, never hung around, you know, anybody that wasn't white. So the topics never came up. And when I dropped the bomb on them, per se, that I was dating a black girl at college, it went very poorly. She was not able to call the house. She was not able to come by the house. I mean, they cut off all communication. And so that was a shock to me to have that experience coming from my own family. But what's kind of, and it caused a a big riff, it caused my relationship with my father to go very poor to the point where I moved out of the house. So what's kind of interesting about it is, you know, obviously that relationship didn't work out. And it really kind of caused me to step back, seeing how bad of an experience that I had whether I really wanted to go through that again, but God had different plans and, you know, here comes joy into my life. And so I was kind of nervous many years later of coming to my dad and was like, okay, here we go again. How's this going to go around? Go this go around. And my dad and joy have a great relationship. And they sometimes he'll call her before he even calls me. So it's kind of interesting how I don't know, you know, what to attribute that to. If he, um, you know, just growing older, growing wiser, God intervention, but it's the tale of two tapes, really, in my experience. I think you really just like me because I like Journey. I think that was yeah, the what deciding it, that's factor. That's what it was. For <laughs> don't stop believing. <laughs> right, right. So, Nanette and Bruce, you guys are also Gen Xers. What is your story like? Have you dated interracially before? What brought you two together? What was your background? And that I was at y'all's wedding. And so your parents are amazing. So I, I don't fathom that you have a bad story about your upbringing, but tell us about that. Well, my upbringing was you met my parents, but you didn't meet my biological father. And my biological father and my mom were married until I was four. And then they divorced. My dad that you met came into my life when I was six. So he's been my dad since I was little. But my biological father has always been in my life. And I always had visitation and that kind of thing. And he was a um, police officer in National City, California, which gets to be a little rough and tumble at times because it has the Navy base, San Diego Navy base is there. There's a lot of multicultural clashing there because there's the black population, a lot of Hispanic population, as well as the white population. And him being a cop, he is the stereotypical road cop. He would do anything he could to get somebody in trouble if they weren't white. Mm-hmm. And he always said that he was never prejudiced. He hated everybody just alike, but that's not true. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so fast forward to me dating Bruce, I had never really dated outside my race until I was in my 40s. And actually, my two daughters, my oldest one, she dated interracially in high school, or no, I'm sorry, college, and it didn't bother me. My first husband was from Virginia. His family was a little bit on the racial side, and I had to tone down the N-word because I, I never liked that word. Mm-hmm. And my dad, my biological father, would use it a lot when I was a kid because he talked about everybody badly. So anyway, I was in my 40s, and my kids were grown. I was trying to find myself. So when I started dating, somebody had asked me out, a person of color, and I was like, okay, why not? I don't have any, you know, I didn't have any negativity in my brain about it. It turns out that we had a really good time together. So fast forward to me meeting Bruce, we dated for three years, and you met my parents. My mom and my stepdad have a fondness for my husband, for Bruce that I was real appreciative of. My younger sister is in a relationship with a man from India who is also a person of color, but not black. And so it's just kind of like, well, people in that household. So I took him out to San Diego to meet my biological dad, and we had a really wonderful visit. And I thought things went really well. Mind you, I'm 50 when this took place. After the visit was over, it was a month or so by the time that I could get in touch with him on the phone. Bruce wasn't just in earshot. I just wanted to have a you know, private conversation with my dad. I got the shock of my life. He disowned me. <gasps> and so... I was really surprised because, I mean, first of all, at 50, some odd years old, you're really going to do that? Well, yes, yes. Yes, he disowned me. He said that he never wanted to speak to me again. And I'm like, okay, so I'm dating someone who works at Quantico for the FBI, doing things to keep this country and our people safe and never been in jail, has never done drugs. And yet, that's not, yep, that's not okay. Now, what year was this? I think it was 2018. Oh, wow. It was 2018 when he first told me, and I must say, I didn't tell Bruce at first because he fell in love with my dad, my bio dad, because he treated him so well. It was like, I mean, it was like we were royalty. It had a wonderful visit. Everything went wonderful. So... I kind of like wanted him just to maybe simmer down, cool down a little bit. So I did the requisite, you know, phone call again to for like Father's Day or birthday or Christmas. I can't remember when it was now, but it was months and months later. I think it was for his birthday in February. That's what it was. I called to wish him a happy birthday and he hung up on me. And so I called him back and I said, Dad, did you hang, just hang up with me? Yes, I told you, never call me again. And I meant it. And I said, you're really serious about this? And he said, yes. And I haven't spoken to him now in two years. And I did have to finally tell Bruce the truth, the ugly truth. Right. Uh, 
you know, of course he was hurt, but I was totally mortified. I didn't know, I didn't know how to handle it. I, you know, had read about people and heard of people that talked and felt like that, but I didn't think I knew any, much less related to any. And so my so mom and my stepdad stepped up to the plate and, you know, they said, well, we know how he is. And I'm like, yes, we do. And we just moved forward. But he was respectful in person. But yes. the true feelings came out afterwards. Yes, he was absolutely Jekyll and Hyde in the uh, behavior toward us. Wow, that's a similar situation here <laughs> with, yeah. with the mom and not the dad. So, yeah, that I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad that your other part of your family filled that gap. And Bruce, so what about what's your... Your family was at the wedding, and they seemed to have no problems, but what is your story? How, what's your upbringing? Well, from a very young, delicate age, <laughs> I was a uh, military brat, and when my father had settled, we settled predominantly in a, um, I was not more white, but I think it was like maybe 65% white to 35% black. My mom was against me dating interracially. She wasn't upset about it. She had more concerns, some of which still radiate today that, you know, Nana and I have come to have to deal with in the past, I don't know, hell, since we've been married. And my mom's thing was this, it's kind of like, you know, you're young, you're black, you know, they're not going to respect you as much as being in your own culture. You're going to have a much more difficult time. Mm -hmm. People are going to say things to you to get you to react they're going to be very cruel and very mean to you because you're not dating. We used to have this saying, and not we, but my dad always told me this saying when he was in the military. It was like, if you're black, get back. If you're brown, stick around. If you're yellow, you're mellow. And that's pretty much how I looked at it from the reverse side. I was thinking, you know, well, I'll, I'll try and date, but I always kind of gravitated toward the lighter skinned African-Americans. And then I just started dating uh, white women. My mom was very, she was not upset. I remember her looking at me when I brought a girlfriend home. She looked at me she's like, well, I knew this was coming. <laughs> and yes, I was coming to dinner. <laughs> yeah, she's like, uh, it was just a matter of time, you know. And I'm like, well, are you upset? She says, no, I'm just worried about you. I worry about your children. Because my best friend, he was a product of a biracial. His father was uh, African-American. He was in the military. And his mother was Saxonite. She was from England. He used to get picked on in school a lot because he was biracial. And that was one of my mom's major things is like, you know, what about the children? Because mm -hmm. she was of the mindset that, yes, we've come a long ways towards equality, but we are nowhere near. And even if there is a black man in the White House, we are nowhere near being equal. Right. And she it's, true. it's true. Mm hmm. I'd walk down the street with a girl one time. This is way, I don't know if you're familiar with Maryland, but Maryland is a Southern state. Make no doubt about it. And mm -hmm. in some of the counties where you have a lot of farming community, you have a lot of rich whites that own a lot of farming community and they sold parcels of lands to blacks and so forth and so on. Well, I was in Charles County dating this one girl and we were just out at one of the sediment ponds, just, you know, looking at stuff. These uh, three guys in a pickup truck pulled up and you know what happened next. So, you know, here I am trying to get her to the car. 
And I'm like, get to the car, run, run to the car. And they started calling me inward this, inward that. We're going to lynch you in this, that, and the other. Ooh, and I was like, you know, I'm ready to go for a fight, but I'm worried about her because I know what they would do to her. Right, right. They would, they would rape her. They would beat the living crap out of her. So, you know, it's just like, you know, get her back to her car. So, yeah, it, it was rough. And even today, it's rough. I love my wife. I wouldn't, you know, change anything for the world. But if somebody were to ask me would I date outside of my race right now, I would say no because of the climate of the way that the world is right now. It's yes. Really yes, yes. I got to get to Mr. Horton, but we're going to come back to that statement that you just made. So our millennial interracial dater, Horton, what has been your experience and what are your thoughts about just everything interracially speaking in 2022? How were you brought up? So I was brought up in a place where racism was very much alive. I'm from outside the Pittsburgh area, the old steel town. Beaver County is the county I'm from. It's like 45 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. It was an area when I grew up, I was raised in a predominantly black neighborhood, but my grandmother's home, she delivered insurance back in the day. She had successful businesses. She built a home in a predominantly white neighborhood where she went to school at and her mother and them lived initially. But racism was alive and growing up, I didn't date white girls. I grew up in in an all black neighborhood. Now I'll be honest, I had people in my family that were, I would consider racist, didn't like white folks, but it was more so because of how they were treated by white people. And on the, on the flip side, in my neighborhood, I knew there was white families who I knew didn't like me or, or you know, we were called in where we fought over the word a lot. We just knew they existed. Right across the bridge was our rival town and it was a lot of white boys. And we knew that they were, a lot of them were racist. Not all. I got very close with my neighbors living in Rochester where I was at. And I would always be in Alacopa where it was all predominantly all black in the neighborhood I was in. And... It was very segregated in Alacoba because, like, the Italians lived in one part of Alacoba, and the rest was, like, predominantly black, and then on the outskirts were more white people. Even when my dad was the sheriff growing up, that was when I was, like, junior high going into high school, I was friends with a white girl, and I ended up falling in love with a friend of mine. I didn't realize I was falling in love at the time, but, you know, I ended up liking her. My immediate family wasn't, wasn't racist whatsoever. They would just always warn me about what I was going to encounter, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I would encounter that stuff. We fight over the word. We tell stories about, you know, being called the N-word. Or we, we get into fights because a group of boys called us that. We, we fight over it. So it was very much alive. And all the black women in my family, all the cousins, I had some biracial family members. And they, the girls would make sure we weren't dealing with white girls. We would have to, like, hide it if we liked the white girl. Because they would beat them up. They would fight them. And it was more so because they knew how all the white folks felt about us. Like, we were inferior. So why date them? That right. coming from that was a lot in my black black women in my family were like, you don't don't be dealing with the white girls because you know their parents don't want and it was always it always went back to their parents don't want you. And they were right, because we would have to sneak to even deal with white girls. And my grandmother used to always she I knew she was snapped when I fell in love with that, you know, with that girl. She thought she was just my friend. And she was just my friend at the time. And then I really fell for her. And then everybody knew I was dating her at the time. And my, nobody my grandma was like the last to find out. Everybody kept it a secret. Uh-oh. And the same woman that told me she would like punish me and all this if I dealt with a white girl, my grandmother ended up falling in love with that white girl, like loving her as like a, a daughter. Like she really took to her. We ended up being high school in high school in like a seniors or whatever, and she would let her stay in the house. And my grandma's a real spiritual woman, and it really had to do with my grandmother had to pray about it. 
right. because my grandmother was so angry at how they judged and, and treated us young black boys about these white girls that she had to pray about it to open her hearts where she didn't have a hatred. Right. So she fell in love with trips. But here's the thing, and, and, and I look back at my, my prom pictures because we were dating, but I didn't go to the prom with a white, with a white girl. Two years we dated, I didn't go to any formal, no Christmas dance, no, it was always a black woman. Hmm. Women from my, like, and that's how we, it was disguised. Like, we never went. There was only a few guys bold enough to go with a white girl. What did she but, have to say about you hiding her? Even after I didn't hide her, my grandmother knew why I was taking a black girl. Okay. I took somebody I was close to her, I took somebody, or if we weren't together at the time, like one time I wasn't together and I took a black girl, like, but when I, I know my senior year, I took a black girl to basically a, a smoke screen, basically. But I was really with Trish because it wasn't socially accepted. The crazy thing about it is I'm scoring touchdowns. I'm in the paper. I'm on the front page of the paper. I'm all state. I'm doing this in track. I got all these colleges looking at me, but it's, I know how they still see me. Mm-hmm. Me and my friends, we were pulled over with our white girlfriend in the car, told our taillights out, like asked about who got the car, all this stuff. There was nothing wrong with the car. We didn't get a ticket. But that's the kind of things I was pulled over a lot of times because yeah. I'm in the car with a white girl. But see, my daddy was the sheriff, so when my name matched on my ID, I'm the second, it changed the conversation when they knew who I was. Right. Mm-hmm. But initially, I was pulled over often. And not until they read my license and saw Antoine Horton the second. Oh, your dad, his daddy's the sheriff. Like, you got to, they let me go. But that's the kind of things that still existed. And that was 2001 through 2002. Yeah, and um, still, now. <laughs> definitely still does now. In my older age, you know, I'm not as old as you are, but I'm, I'm still 38. It still happens. I, I mean, I, I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> I'm saying, you know, but among my generation, it's more accepted. The interracial dating is more accepted and it's still happening. Uh, yeah. It's still continuing to happen. But growing up, that's how it was. It, it was, it was frowned upon. And, and I internalized that. And I used to make fun of my friends when I was in eighth grade dating white girls. I'm like, y'all date white girls for real? Like what? Because I wasn't doing, and it was so engraved to me, like, that's the wrong thing to do. And I didn't do it. And I made fun of my boys and tried to deter them from doing it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I was taught. And I knew how they treated me. So I'm like, man, you can't, you can't do that. But then I start hanging around and in my school and different things. And I, it changed how I felt. My feelings changing towards a friend of mine changed how I felt. Right. You and, you know, and it, yeah, I evolved. And, and then after that, it didn't make a difference. Sounds like your grandma and my mom are on the, on the same page as far as just being fearful based on their past experiences from being from the older generation. Now, we had mentioned about children. Bruce had mentioned that his mom was concerned about children and what that would do to children being interracial. And you, you do have interracial children. And so I'm wondering, I'm curious if their age, I know they're younger if America has grown at least a little bit so that children ages 12, if they had to still deal with racism in schools at that age? Well, my uh, youngest son, who is now uh, 13, 12, they grow so fast. When he was a small baby, he was like uh, three or four years old. And his grandmother was white, took him to the store. And um, they related a story to me that uh, this woman had, he was sitting in the grocery cart and there was another white baby that was sitting in the grocery cart. And they were, you know how little babies talk and goo goo gaga, this kind of stuff. And the woman looked at my son and abruptly moved her cart away 
and said, I don't want your mixed baby talking to my white child. And the grandmother looked at him. She says, what's the problem? He's black. And she said, so we don't associate with those people. And you shouldn't either. (laughs) You know, so now this is 10 years ago. Okay. And this was in Virginia, a predominantly, you know, mixed state. This is Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. And it still goes on to this day. My friend John used to get beat up in school all the time because he was mixed. Hmm. He'd get beat up by the white kids. He'd get beat up by the black kids. So it was very difficult for him. And he's like my best buddy growing up. I'm sorry. It's rampant. And especially now after, I say the last three years have been very decisive when it comes to uh, racial relationships and relations, just period. So yeah, it's still out there, you know? Now, Barton, you have a younger son. Are they experiencing this as obvious as we've we've experienced it? My son, who I just dropped off, he's he's 12 years old. And I'll be quite honest, I have to be real about it. I despise where he's at. School-wise, like, he's in a very good school district as far as the education is concerned. But the neighborhood, he's in a very, very Trump-driven, I mean, they got billboards up still right now with Trump all over. Oh, my. Very... It's not a warm feeling when I go into plays, parent-teacher conferences, like as far as the, the general population in that community. Like, it's not a warm feeling at all. And I fear for him. And I ask him all the time and I ask him questions. But he's got a taste of a little bit of racism about, about his skin color because he actually, he blends in like he could pass for like being a Caucasian boy. Like he, his, his hair is not like my other son's, like, my, like curly hair when I had hair. He can pass for being a, a white kid, but he's experienced a few times being treated a certain type of way because of his skin. He didn't understand. I kind of explained to him and I kind of always prepare him for and I ask and check on it because I know he might not identify dating wise into the dating world. Like, we're, you know, like little girls, you know, little flirt back and forth, but no one's been openly, you know, it's all the closet stuff, like the little comments that are made and things like that that mm-hmm. bother me he'll say to me that he doesn't understand why it's being said to him. But he, he does experience a, a little bit. There's only three biracial kids and one little black girl in the entire elementary school. But he does experience it. He's starting to experience those differences when his friends don't like something, they'll refer to his skin. And I'm like, that's not a friend of yours. That's where that's happened among his peers. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus. 2022, but, I thought it would be better, but... Well, but um, I am leery of he's a nice looking young man. And I know some of the girls and they're all white girls. There is no black girls in the school or any, any biracial girls. And I worry that I'm thinking about how their parents feel. Right. You know, him being biracial, I'm, I'm comfortable with whoever he's going to date. But I, I don't want him to treat my child or think less of my child. You know, like he's inferior and shouldn't be dating was when I grew up. Right. So it's a scary phase right now because the girls are starting to call. My brain is always like. So they know she's called, he's calling a little mixed boy. Like, do the parents know that? Are they comfortable with that? Are they okay? So right. me and his mother are, are like over-communicating about that and really paying attention to the phone and the relationships. But it's out there, you know, among the parents, you know, his mother knows a little bit better than me. Right. Which girls are to stay away from. Okay. Because of their parents. Well, it has been fascinating hearing y'all's stories. I didn't tell mine. Mine will be brief. I grew up. My mom, she told me not to necessarily don't look at people for their color, but look at them for how they treat you. And I took it to heart. When I was in high school, though, I I had an encounter 
with skinheads who didn't like me running for class officer. And so I did not get to date white guys in high school. It didn't really matter. That didn't really, it didn't bother me. I, I dated all black guys, but at the same time that turned me into a Skittles dater because I didn't see color. I just looked at whoever was cute to me. And so I've seen cute pretty much every race. I said I didn't had never seen a cute Asian. Like I know they're out there. I just never met or encountered one, but I had to backtrack that because Bruno Mars is a Pacific Islander. And I, I would totally date Bruno Mars, but I never saw color when dating. So one of the questions that I had asked or was gonna ask you guys is that who do you get the most looks from? Like as far as groups go? I know for me. When I'm out with Mike, I always get looks, the meanest looks are either from black men or from white women. White men, they, you know, I don't get looks from them. You would think I would have been in Georgia and now in North Carolina, but that's not who I get looks from. Does anybody else have similarities, Sharon? What looks do you get, or if any? The more side-eye looks, so to speak, would be Black women. But as far as in the jobs that I've worked or going to restaurants or going out with my friends, I get looks from white guys. Wow, that's the totally opposite of mine. Yeah, it's like, totally opposite. I think Black women always give me, like, the thumbs-up look. So, yeah, that's, that is really interesting. Steve, what about you? Take that as a compliment. Well... It's kind of funny because some people know I'm a crazy sports fan in Detroit, and I get on video quite a bit with the uh, local NBA team, the Pistons. And it's funny because they'll put, you know, Sharon and I will be up on the big screen a lot, but if they ever do a kiss cam or anything, oh, they aren't coming our way. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Oh, okay. Bruce and Annette, any particular group you guys get looks from or? She'll go first. I think I find white men to look at me with like this disapproving scowl. Hmm. Sometimes in restaurants. And I didn't even used to pay attention to it because unlike some of you that have been dating throughout your life interracially, I have not. And so in my younger days, I didn't encounter some of the prejudice. Hmm. But Bruce has educated me on some of his experiences and such. And so once he started talking to me about it, I started to be a little bit more eyes open instead of, you know, ignorant bliss. And that's when I started to notice every once in a while I get a blare here or a scowl there. Hmm. But I just look back at them and tell them to move on their merry way. I'm a big girl. Okay. And Horton and Bruce, I can ask you guys this collectively. What group has given you the most grief or side eyes, as Sharon says? I'd have to say it is, for me, it's black women. It's not just anybody. It's, it's more the dark-skinned women. Mm. Dark women. A dark-skinned woman is usually the most disapproving when I'm out or seen with a white girl or I'm questioned by, like, when I say I got to, you know, that's, I show them a picture of my girlfriend or I explain who my girlfriend is. It's mostly them. All the white men sometimes will, will have that disapproving scowl like like Nanette mentioned. Mm-hmm. But that's the two that I that I genuinely see more out. 
or our, our experiences. It's, it's older white men and black women, but like it's always darker complexion women. Hmm. Bruce, what about you? At first, it was a lot of, like Corden says, a lot of darker skinned black women, especially when I was in college and especially when I worked in the federal government. They were extremely upset. I was always reminded of this thing with Richard Pryor. He says, black men, if you're dating a white woman, teach him how to run. Because when you get drunk, <laughs> you don't want to go back and pick him up. <laughs> so, and it's sad, but you know, it's really true. It's yeah. really true. And then, man, I just got back from uh, Amarillo, Texas. They still have uh, sundown towns out there. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. In other words, when the sun goes down, you don't want to be around, especially if you're black. We were out there in the area, and I'm looking, it was, just, it was really funny. We went to this one restaurant for breakfast, and it's older white couples. <laughs> we're talking about people that are yeah. like in their 60s and their 70s. They will outright stare you down. Yes. Yes. And but see, for the thing in me is like, I'm older. I'm in my 50s now. I'm getting tired. And I'm to the point now where I'm, I'm really a smack somebody because it's just, <laughs> well, you but we can't. Syndrome. Yeah, because then we fit the stereotype, angry black man, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's just gotten ridiculous. And I've noticed it here as well in Florida now, too. It's like so many older Americans, so many older white American male and female. Now, if it's a single female who's older, they won't say anything. They might crack a little smile or get a little giggle. But if it's a man and woman together, they're looking at us like, you know, what are you doing with this? Right. I don't get uncomfortable. I'm just always, and then used to always joke with me about, you know, me sitting with my back to the door. Like, I am always aware of my surroundings because things can mm-hmm. change just like that. Yeah, you almost have to. You know, I totally agree with that. Is I think it's kind of funny sometimes to catch them in the stare. Like, yeah. And Joy does it all the time. Like, I'll notice something's changed in the temperament of Joy because she'll catch somebody staring and Joy will return the stare and just stare them down until they look away. Or sometimes you'll just catch them and they'll look, they'll, they'll look away immediately. And you're like, I know you're looking over here. Yeah. Uh, I find that more than often. It's always with my experience has always been, you know, just white people. I've really never had a, you know, probably have, maybe I just can't remember off the top of my head of, of many experiences with just uh, with black people, you know, giving us evil looks or nasty looks or dirty looks. It's mostly white people. And it's mostly people that are looking at you. And then when they get caught in it, they totally look away. Like, thank you, you just caught me. One thing I have noticed generationally and racially If I'm a black male and I'm married to a white female and I go into a predominantly black area, I feel safer because it seems to be much more inviting. In other words, like, we got you. It's okay. Just chill. Relax. But if I go into a predominantly white area, I get nervous now. I really do. And because of where they cut eyes at you, I'm like, what the hell? I'm I'm just, like my dad said, I'm just trying to get through your town, officer. I'm not trying to camp out. (laughs) I'm just trying to get through there. And it's gotten worse, especially down here in the South. It's gotten worse. Yeah. And you know how it's, it is weird because Mike's been around my family and we have interracial dating in our family, but it's just like, if you watch power, for instance, you know, they got a whole series about Tommy, (laughs) this white guy (laughs) and all the black people are like loving this show. It's like, we seem to be more embracing 
just in general of people that are not necessarily black. Because if you seem to be down with us, then we mm-hmm. more than likely will be down for you. I want to think that white people are like that, just depending. But I totally agree that we seem to be more welcoming in group settings. Yeah. It makes you feel a, mm. a lot safer. Yeah. And a lot of times if they don't like you, like for if, if blacks don't like you, they'll let you know. They ain't, they're yeah. going to be yeah. candy ass about it. Like, you <laughs> know, man's bad. It's kind of like, you know, we'll fool you, lull you into falseness of security. And then when you turn around, don't you ever come here with them again. I'm like, well, hell, if you would have told me that first of all, I wouldn't, wouldn't even stay at your place. You know, we would have got our own place and did our own thing. But that's the thing that I don't like. It's like, you know, I know more black folks. And I can only speak from my experiences and my situation. It's like, if they don't like someone that's white or they don't like the relationship, they'll put you inside and say, hey, we don't like it, but we're going to be cool and we ain't going to start nothing. Right. But when you're around white folks, they'll be either very, very nasty or they'll be slightly accommodating to a degree, but, you know, they're really putting on airs and it's really all they can do not to call you the N-word right out the mouth. That's what I've run into most of my life in, in dealing with interracial dating. So from a, a now point of view, like when you go out now, especially since what happened in Buffalo, when you go out together, are you like looking around head on swivel or are you just like, you know, no, nah, I'm cool. That was a one time incident. Or do you think it'll happen again? Like Bruce mentioned, there's never a time that I go anywhere where my head's not on the swivel. It's kind of sad to, to think like that, but that's the honest to God truth. Like, I don't go anywhere. And, you know, like right now I'm driving, I go to a rural gas station to meet my son's mother to drop off because between Cincinnati and Kentucky. Everywhere I go, I'm aware of how they're looking at me, how they're receiving me. My antennas are up because at any moment anything could happen. And it's sad to think that, but that's how I... It's just like how it is. There's not ever a time I go anywhere publicly where my head's not on a swivel and I'm not aware of my surroundings because anything can pop off. And and it's mostly racially fueled. Right. That's the honest to God truth. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel the same way when me and Mike are out. He is now aware, but I would be the one looking around, like, looking like, okay, who's looking at us? Because we targets now. I mean, let's just be real. We targets. And I think people need to know and understand that you make yourself a target when you love someone that doesn't look like you. And we need more people to be aware and to be allies for, you know, being advocates and things of that nature for people who choose to be different and just follow their heart and not their eyeballs. And Joy, I'm more aware, I would say way more aware than Steve, but especially when we travel, because we, we know we may sometimes go to Florida, we come to the Carolinas, and mm-hmm. or we go up north. I'm always looking around to see who's looking at us. Yes. And, you know, there's just one other little thing that kind of bugs me. And, well, it really bugs me. When we go to a restaurant and the waitress says separate checks. It just, it's in my mind, I'm thinking, can't she see this ring on my finger? Is she saying separate checks because she thinks I'm something to him other oh, than a wife? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It Mike, just really burns my cookies. Mike has a, yeah. <laughs> what you did. I hope he did what I, oh. I suggested. Oh, 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 oh. 
that is like a huge, I can't even accentuate huge. Like Yeah, bold, me too. <laughs> bold, bold letters, all caps, 50 font. Joy hates that. And I started picking up on it too. It was like, is this separate checks? And I'm like, first of all, I know, well, if you're paying attention, you see wedding rings. So exactly. that, that should be the first clue. Yeah. And then number two is, I don't care if we're married or not. Just assume that the guy's going to pick up the check. Exactly. I don't know if we were just having a bad day. I don't know if my nerves were getting to me, but I left a note for that waitress. She did not get a good tip. And I wrote a note at the top. Bye-bye. We're married. I think I said something to that effect of next time, just assume the guy's going to pick up the check. And I wrote the note on there because, I mean, that's just, number one, I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. rude. It's just it's, rude. It's anyway. rude and it's disrespectful. Good for you. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Next time, yeah, just write them, write them a note. Write them a uh, note. <laughs> I actually suggested that Sharon pick up the check. Then it's like, you know, <laughs> Very funny. Uh, but that never goes anywhere. But I mean, you know, and, and Steve, I wonder if you, you know, I'm starting to become more aware, you know, of what's around me due to current events and whatnot. But really, I mean, it took me a while to to realize that because it's just something that, you know, me being white, I've never really had to concern myself with. And being in a interracial marriage and relationship that I've become more aware of, you know, we talk about white privilege and all that, of what I don't typically have to be concerned with being a white person. And it's kind of alerted me to, hey, I do need to be more aware of my surroundings and when we're going out because, you know, there's crazy people out there. I mean, let's be honest. I think that for a lot of people, oftentimes we want to think we live in a kumbaya world. And one of the things that we hear people saying is, well, they'll look at relationships like the ones that we're discussing on this podcast today, and they say, well, that is beautiful because We see no color and you see no color. But the truth is, there is color. And the thing is, we accept that. Diversity is what really builds a great society, builds great communities. It's when you've got that diversity. So, yeah, I enjoy having multiple colors here. I didn't want, like, one crayon box that just had white or brown or whatever. Let's get some diversity going. Right. Amen. Well, I just have one final question for all of you. And the question is, if you could say anything to America about interracial relationships, what is it that you would tell them to do or not do just to help them out? Horton, we'll start with you. Mine comes from being in education. I've been in education for about 14 years now. And it goes to what I want to, I'm actually going to teach a course to young teachers, professional development. I'm going to request from my, my admin. It's cultural competence, just based on how they treat students. Being more open-minded and aware of cultures outside your own, because I think once you embrace it, you get to, when you show these kids, I'm in a diverse population. I'm a high ESL population where I have like 30 different nationalities in my school. On my soccer team, there's 14 different nationalities. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge, diverse population. My girl and my boys go work in two public schools. And it, it really boils down to just being more culturally aware of, we you know, where they come from, what their culture is like. And then I think it just opens your mind up. And if you start to understand and 
have a respect for different cultures outside oh and learn then it just it changes your heart you're just more aware like some things are deemed rude in, in certain cultures especially the difference from america and some of the other cultures where we're so ignorant because we don't even acknowledge the differences like i started acknowledging holidays not having certain things like practice days on these kids holidays that we're not aware of here in america like but it's as i've grown to try to learn about each of my student athletes cultures it expanded my knowledge in this whole transgender era, like even my transgender athletes, like, or my kids going through those phases, me educating myself and, and being more open and aware of the situations and what they're going through. It changes my mindset and my heart, you know, no matter what, based on my background, I was raised where that wasn't accepted, but now I have athletes on my teams. I'm hiring staff members that are homosexual or which is a huge stride for me growing as a man and, and just educating myself and learning because that's how that wasn't how I was raised right yeah but I've opened my mind but it's opened my heart to learning and accepting people who are different than me or raised different than me so you're saying free your mind and the rest will follow that is absolutely awesome. being more competent yep Bruce Nanette I for me I've looked at things from a lot of sides I look at the socioeconomical impact of all of this you know, when the money is good and when the jobs are flowing and when there's plenty to go around, racial tensions decrease exponentially. But as soon as there becomes an economic crisis, we see divisiveness. We see well, we wouldn't be in this situation if all the Hispanics didn't take our jobs or we wouldn't be in this situation if all the blacks went on welfare. And that's the wrong statement because Actually, there are more whites on welfare than there are blacks. If you look at the, the Tennessee River Valley situation, West by God, Virginia, you have a lot more whites on welfare than you do blacks, mm -hmm. you know, per capita. But they don't look at that. And I say a lot to say is, am I for interracial dating? Be honest, I used to be. Am I now? Not in today's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Because one, you guys may agree or disagree with me. You're black. Strike one. <laughs> okay. Two, those in power view us as being lesser than them. And it is bolstered by the way the government treats us as a whole. Mm, yeah. You know, it's like, look at the areas that got funding for COVID. More white areas got PPE1, PPE2, and PPE3. Most underserved black areas, they got PPE one if they got that. So it makes it much more difficult. And then when you throw an interracial relationship on top of this, it makes it even more difficult. You know, I say love who you want to love, but you have to be cautious. And it's a shame that here we are, you know, 2022, and it's still like that. We're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And Stephen Sharon. I recommend that it starts in the home when the children are young. Start teaching them about equality and accepting all people that although we may look alike, with on the inside, our heart is all the same. So I would just recommend like cultural competence, but mm -hmm. we get it at the corporate level, but start teaching it at maybe the kindergarten level. Right. 
at the corporate level is too late. Not too late. Really. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time tonight to talk with me. And I always have to put a spiritual spin on things. And so in this conversation, for those that might be spiritual minded, but maybe not so appreciative of interracial dating, you need to go and look in your Bibles and see that one of the most talked about men in the Bible, Moses, was actually married to an Ethiopian woman. And if you want to see where you can find that, that is actually in Numbers, I think it's 12 and 1. So you can research that for yourself. But thank you all so much for being with me. And until next time, you guys, don't stop believing. Stop believing.